Hello, listeners, and welcome to Recovery Talk, a podcast from the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence. I'm your host, Shannon Roberts. Each month, we will be talking with an expert in the field, discussing substance use disorders, resources to assist individuals with an SUD and or their families, and best practices for the delivery of peer recovery support services. In this episode, we talk with Joanna Dolan, one of the PRCOE's newest steering committee members, about her recovery journey. Joanna has won recognition for her advocacy and leadership in the communities where she lives and works. Joanna teaches how to change your life through emotional intelligence, financial literacy, business ownership, and principle-centered living. Without further ado, let's get talking. Joanna, thank you so much for being here and being willing to do this. For the folks listening at home, Joanna is a new member to our steering committee, and since we have had the privilege of hearing everyone else's stories about their journey to and through and in recovery. Thought it only fitting to hear Joanna's as well. So Joanna, thank you for being here. Thanks for asking me. This is exciting. Do you mind just starting a little introduction about who you are and what you do with the center? Sure. Um, so my name is Joanna Dolan. I am the founder and CEO of Dolan Research International. And um, I am also on core team one with the Peer Recovery Center for Excellence. Uh, We work on uh, peer implementation and integration. Awesome, Joanna. Uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about your research institute? Sure. Thank you. Um, We we do a number of things. Uh, Primarily what we do is... um, expand coaching and coaching services inside of both traditional and non-traditional addiction recovery spaces. Um, We train uh, peer support specialists and recovery coaches to certification and recertification, as well as work with organizations through consultancy to, um, to build departments and implement peer support and recovery coaching inside of their firms. And we also, um, we also do a lot of uh, advocacy work in many different spaces from uh, addiction recovery, medical home model of care to um, local governments. Very cool and very important work. If no one's had the chance to hear Joanna present on anything, I highly recommend it. She's a pretty incredible presenter. You can find her on the Google tubes. Um, That's Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. So Joanna, before I like to transition into like the hard hitting, hey, tell us about your recovery story. I kind of like to start about, because it seems to be a good starting point and transition of why, why is this work important to you? What you do with the center, but also what you do with all the other time in your day? That's a really good question. So this work is important to me because I I have been in recovery. I am in recovery and I've been in recovery uh, since August 10th, 1997. Um, when I, <laughs> thank you. When I um, entered recovery, I call it sobriety because that's what it mm-hmm. is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, entered sobriety, what, you know, what was available to me was very small section of services. You know, we didn't have mental health parity at that point. And um, like all of the research that was being done about addiction recovery was largely in the realm of 
scientists and doctors that I didn't have access to. Right. right? So mm -hmm. there were things like, you know, post-acute withdrawal syndrome, you know, and the symptoms that come along with that, that I just didn't have access to figure those things out. You know, like no one was saying, oh yeah, the fact that you can't sleep, you know, they weren't saying like that's, that will pass, you know, here's some, here's some helpful non-medicine things that you can do to support yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, alcohol and cocaine were my things. Right. Mm -hmm. So a, I was, I was sped up a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and then equally depressed, you know, so like no one said, oh, by the way, it's going to take your body time to like <laughs> outgrow that habit because mm -hmm. it's a, by that point, it was a habit, right? Like being uh -huh. really high and being really low. Uh -huh. um, and so because of that, like I had like this really crazy journey through, you know, early recovery, through late recovery. And, um, and I don't think that that should be everybody's path. I think there's an easier, softer way, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I want to make sure that easier, softer way is not only available, it is affordable. Mm -hmm. And we no longer, you know, like with the stuff that we know now um, that we didn't know in 97 when I got sober and when a lot of my friends, you know, like a lot of my friends also do not, did not have access to this stuff. Right. So Mm -hmm. Um, I think about it and I'm like, huh, if I had had access, my life would be very different. You know, like not that this isn't awesome, but you and right. I would not be talking. Right. You know, <laughs> I love the framework of, you know, making recovery resources softer and easier because for a lot of folks, you're right. And I mean, before today, and it's still true for a lot of folks today, that journey is really rough and tumble and, and just hard. It's so hard. Do you want to get into it? You want to start digging into your recovery journey and wherever that, wherever that starts for you, let's go there. <laughs> so, so I got, uh, I got sober when I was 20, I was six months away from my uh, 21st birthday. Yeah. So, um, August 10th, 97 is my sobriety date. February 10th, 98 Ooh. is my 21st birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Some and, uh, pretty paramount days right there. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it's like six months and six months, you know, it's like, okay, that's how I start my year and checking my year in. Right. Yeah. Um, when I got sober, um, I had been out ripping and running pretty hard from about the time I was 17 until I got sober at 20. Um, now I was ripping and running hard. Like, I, I mean, I was doing it in my parents' house, but it was, you know, hidden and under wraps. And when they started figuring it out, it was um, more along, like the way that they handled it was more along the lines of, we'll just turn our face, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't know what to do here. Um, and also, um, they gave me space to like make my own decisions, you know, wow. which is super helpful. Yeah. And progressive. You know, think, <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I think it's progressive for these times, but I think it, back then it was normal. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like you, I mean, my parents, uh, my father is, 
he was a silent generation, right? And my mm. mom was um, a baby boomer. Mm. They had a lot of those same, you know, values and they raised us with those values, you know, mm. like there's a cause and effect right. and, you know, like there's a ripple, you know, there's a ripple effect to all of your actions, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, back, I mean, those were things I learned in my, in my parents' house, you know? And so mm-hmm. like for them, it was not progressive. It was just, that's normal. That's a good point that I didn't really consider. Our whole values have changed, right? Yeah. I was just thinking, yeah, I definitely grew up. I failed to consider that. Like I, for me, I grew up with the, the parental generation where I hate to say helicopter parents because that's so pejorative, but it's kind of true, right? Like day and age, like parents are all up in the kids business, right? And right, wrong or indifferent. It just is anyway. So yeah, I hadn't really considered that facet of it growing up in the (laughs) nineties. It was fun growing up in the nineties, you know, it was also uh, an, an interesting time, right? Cause we didn't have, um, you know, like, I know we're a little off topic, but I think part of that is because you asked me about my, my, my journey. Right. So yeah. um, to tie it back in, like we had phones and pagers, you know, like that, that was pretty much it. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, so when I got sober, I had been disowned by my parents. I mean, I was a hellion and I had some other things going on. Um, and my, uh, my aunt and my cousin pretty much like took me under their wings and were like, Hey, this is what we're doing. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, I was dating a woman and she was like, you've got a drinking problem. And just as she was coming to the realization that I had a problem, I was also coming to the realization that I had a problem. Um, I mean, I had, I had alcohol overdose like several times, mm. you know, and, um, she, you know, she was like, listen, either you get sober or we stop dating. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, like that was super helpful. Right. So like my parents were like, you can't come around us. You know, my girlfriend was like, uh, either you get sober or we stop dating. Mm-hmm. Um, and my aunt was like, listen, you know, you're only 20. I, I want to do everything I can to help you. Uh, you can, you can come here, you know, Uh, But you're not going any place further than the kitchen and you're not coming into this house unless you, um, unless there's somebody else here. Okay. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, like that's who I was. And um, so when I got sober, uh, you know, my uncle was also an alcoholic, but he had been to AA a few times and my aunt knew about AA And so my girlfriend at the time and my aunt conspired to find AA meetings and make sure I got to them. So, you know, like they found this place, uh, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland. So they found this, um, this meeting on, I think it was Thursdays in Timonium. And uh, both of them went with me to meetings for the first three weeks. And I was I was particularly violent um, when I was getting sober uh, because I was also, you know, like I had, I was moonlighting, right? So I had this normal uh, nine to five job, 
I say normal, but it wasn't really. Um, and I was you know, pulling down like really good money. And that was my, that was my outward facing, like, yeah, Joanna's doing really well. Uh-huh. And, um, and then, you know, I was working as a stripper at night because I was only 20 and I wanted to be able to get boobs, you know, yeah. and, you know, I looked like I was 12, so <laughs> I needed to be able to get some boobs. Yeah. Um, it was important. Um, so, you know, like though, and working as a stripper where I was working at, um, my friend Amy, uh, says, she says, um, she's constantly trying to get me to watch this show called the wire. And, uh, and I'm like, I don't want to watch the wire. And she's like, no, you don't want to watch the wire. Cause you were living that. And, um, and there's reality to that. Right. Cause I was yeah. a stripper on the and you know I was packing heat in my waistband and I mean like though that was where I was you know yeah and if I hadn't gotten sober when I got sober like that's where I would have stayed you know so like the universe conspires right and my my aunt and my girlfriend were conspiring they took me to this meeting and I went every once a week you know because it was the only meeting we knew about for three weeks and then um, this woman was like, you need to do a 90 and 90. And, you know, I gave her a few choice words and I was like, you need to do a 90 and 90. <laughs> I didn't even know what it meant, you know. And she's like, well, in case you change your mind, here's a scheduler, you know. And I'm like, OK. So, you know, somebody took the took the thing. I don't know if it was me or if it was someone else, but it was in my truck. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the next day, like my girlfriend broke up with me because I was a jerk still. So go figure. And, um, and that was what got me started on like me doing my own self-directed, you know, I'm going to AA. That is my path. Uh, it can be anybody else can have the room, but that is my path. Right. Mm-hmm. With along with some other things. Sure. And, um, you know, I was like, well, I don't know what to do. Cause I'm, I can't drink. Like my body won't take it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I don't know what to do, you know? And I saw, I mean, I thought about it. Like I saw all these people that were super happy and, you know, like they must've like rubbed off on me, mm-hmm. you know? Cause I like, she broke up with me and it was five minutes to the meeting got started and I was five minutes away. And that, you know, that scheduler was right there on my, on my passenger side, my Bronco. And I picked it up and I, look through it. And I found the meeting and I'm like, I got to go there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I went and, um, this, and I walked in and I sat down and something got said and I started bawling and I'm <laughs> not much of a crier. I definitely wasn't a crier back then. I was a fighter. Mm-hmm. And, um, I walked out of the room and, um, and this big, tall, gentle giant guy like comes out <laughs> me out of the room and he's like six foot eight maybe well he's really yeah he's like really tall and he's you know he's he's like hey do you want to do you want to stop drinking and I'm like yeah I do more than anything and he's like all right then sit down on the steps and don't leave I'll be right back you know and he went inside and he got me like the tools of the program and brought them out and he's like listen you don't have to go back in. You know, I get it. You don't want to cry in front of all those people, but how about we work some steps, you know, 
And he took me through the program of Alcoholics Anonymous in the book. And that's how I got my start. And um, I, you know, like, I know that there's many ways, you know, there's many pathways. Um, mm-hmm. And I had tried unsuccessfully to stop on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and consequences of life, not consequences of not drinking, but consequences of life always drove me back to drinking again. And, you know, like being introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous and the people in the rooms and and the philosophy um, and like that simple process, like really Mm -hmm. gave me the ability to, to stay sober one day at a time, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, And once I found that solution, I haven't needed to to use again. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful right there. I know, right? That's, I'm like, (laughs) and it's nothing of my own doing, right? Like, I mean, I just showed up and said, yes, I'll Mm -hmm. try this. When people hit my page up, I'm like, yes, I'll call them back. Very cool. (laughs) Cindy Christie, she shared her story on the podcast too, and I don't know. I think this, she shared this in a conversation I had with her and not necessarily on her episode, but again, everyone's recovery journey is individual and I don't mean to be prescriptive at all, but one of the things she's shared with me is at this point in her journey, it's not hard that, you know, she, she's done the healing and the work and it's not sobriety is for her. That's her recovery. And she says that she's like, it's not hard to be sober. It actually feels really good. And at this point in my journey, it's super easy and super fulfilling. Yeah. That makes uh, sense to me. I, uh, I'm sitting here and thinking to myself, like I still have like from time to time, I still have cravings. Right. But sure. those are because of like my programming, mm-hmm. You know, like uh, at some point along the way, I became programmed that alcohol and other drugs did it for me, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is, you know, and um, yeah. being sober gives me the power of choice where I didn't have that before, you know, and I don't mean it in like I get to take my will and my life back. Like, I don't mean it in any you know, like controversial way. I mean, like, literally the thought arises and I get to say, Oh, that's a thought. Isn't that interesting? And then I can either choose to let it go. And if it comes back again, I can be like, huh? Well, clearly this thought is not going to leave me. I need to do something. What would I like to do with it? Okay. Well, I'm going to call someone, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by like power of choice. You know, like I get to choose to overreact or react, or I can choose to respond. And like the being sober has given me the tools to be able to respond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so powerful because I think for me and my understanding of the disease of addiction, it, it, it strips you from your power, that power of choice, right? The disease takes away any autonomy you might think you have. I think that's such a a poignant piece of healing and recovery is gaining that agency of self back. You know, it's funny as you say that I'm like, I, you know, I do have 
Well, I think this is like a chicken and egg conversation, like question conversation, right? Like, I think that everybody has a level of, of autonomy slash non-autonomy. Is that even a word? But, you know, like, you know, we have independence and and interdependence, right? And so Mm -hmm. like being sober has taught me how interdependent I am on the world and how Mm -hmm. the world is interdependent on me. Right. And Mm -hmm. that even when I think I have autonomy, like I really don't Mm -hmm. because I'm always acting on the world or the world is always acting on me. Right. And so I have this, this new appreciation. And I think that's what recovery has given me is like that appreciation. Right. Mm hmm. Because, you know, like, like I I believe, like, when I was newly sober, I would have, when I was newly sober, I thought, like, recovery was being done to me, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, like, as I was sober longer, I thought, like, I had autonomy, right? And now I'm like, huh, I have, it's not, it's not either of those things. It's I can either choose to participate or I can choose to, I can, I can choose to participate or I can be made to participate. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. And I like that because I keep bringing this up. So I hope I'm not beating a dead horse for our listeners, but so many of the tenets and values of recovery, whatever your pathway is, is the more I learn about it and understand it, it really just to me sounds like how to be a good human, right? How to be a fully integrated self. And so much of those tenets, I think, just lend itself to showing up in life as an opportunity, an opportunity for others and an opportunity for yourself. And you're right. We also, we often go through life with the perspective that life is just happening at us and to us and, or we're happening to life and we have this false sense of control. But I, I really think that there is this middle ground and intersection of just showing up. And I think the best way I've heard it is wearing life like a loose garment, right? Or your favorite sweatshirt where it's just life is happening around you and and you show up and you it's just an opportunity, and you have some choice and people around you have some choice. And it's just kind of when it's at its best, it's this really comfortable dance. I like that. So, yeah, thank you for bringing that perspective about recovery and autonomy within it. Joanna, if you don't mind jumping back a bit, I'm curious. So you you kind of talked about relationship with aunt, relationship with your girlfriend at the time, kind of being that initial impetus for seeking your sobriety and your recovery at any point before that, did you have any thoughts about your use being a problem or was it, or did it really take someone else saying something to you? Oh no, I knew my use was a problem. I mean, I, my family's a really good family, you know, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of love and, and affection and um, there's a lot of, I mean, we were that family that, so my father is an over the road truck driver was mm-hmm. he, he has dementia and is in a hospital now um, or a, a 
nursing home now. Um, so that's why I speak about him in that way. Cause he's, he's alive, but he's not my, he's not the same anymore. Sure. Um, and you know, my mom is dead. So, you know, like, but that's relatively new. So I might even, you know, put her in the first, you know, as she is still here, but you know, like we yeah. were, the, so forgive me if I go back and forth with that. Right. Um, so we were, the family that, um, you know, on the weekends, we would read books together. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, like, that's who we were, you know, and my dad was an over the road truck driver, which meant that he was gone five to six days a week. And he was also a Pentecostal minister, right? So he was constantly involved in church work. And, um, you know, like, I'm a preacher's kid and all that Mm -hmm. that entails. (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> was a lot and I'm the eldest right so all of that mm. entails right which also is a lot and so you know like growing up there was that closeness right that family bond and like the communication and the openness and the learning right mm-hmm. um and there was also like that sense of well mom is always here with us right and my dad is kind of here, but he's really not kind of here. So it's okay. Right. Mm-hmm. And my drinking and using things outside of myself was my way of dealing with that. Right. And then, you know, like I, I, you know, I got, I figured out when I was like five or seven, something along those lines, like we had just moved to West Virginia that I was, you know, I was gay and mm-hmm. I was different than other people. And you know, like I knew I couldn't talk about that, you know, cause mm. it was still Reagan, you know, like all of that, like, like the country was a hot mess, you know, yeah. and like people were saying awful things. Yeah. You know, like it was the, it was like, you know, civil rights were still the civil rights movements, both for, um, you know, black folk as well as as lgbt folk like they were in their not infancy anymore but they were certainly toddlers right Right. and Mm -hmm. you know all the forces were coming down on both of them right and so i was i got to see that you know as being someone from baltimore and then being a preacher's kid like i understood on some visceral level that me being me was not okay right (sighs) and so like drinking when I found it was the thing that made those things shut up, you know, and it made it okay for me to not be authentic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, navigating through life, um, there were definitely, like that was, that became the way that I dealt, you know, it was like numbing out and, Mm -hmm. um, and, being like being physically present, but not being present. Right. Uh And so, um, the consequences of that became things like, you know, being close to being on the national honor society, but then having to take, like not being able to do it at the very last minute because I wasn't, you know, I was, my grades were suffering. Right. Uh And, um, being, you know, removed from the army under don't ask, don't tell, you know, but really it was because I was, I was experiencing 
you know, the DTs for the first time in my life while <laughs> I was at AIT. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, those are major consequences, you know, cause I started drinking when I was in school and, um, you know, like losing jobs because I couldn't be sober while I was working with clients. Like that's a major problem, right? Like yeah. working as a stripper at night, um, in a, in the, on the block, a very dangerous area of Baltimore city, um, because I was too young to get alcohol legally. And I looked like I was too young. So I wasn't being served. Right. That, mm-hmm. that, was like, yeah, that's, 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 that's a big red flag, you know? So like there were all of these flags. Right. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like not wanting to be, not spending as much time around my family as I wanted to, because I didn't want them to see me wasted. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, being uninvited to family things because I would show up wasted, you know, like those were big red flags. Right. Um, uh-huh. And, um, and so like, it was super easy for me to understand that drinking was a problem. Um, it was not easy for me to actually understand what the real problem was until I tried to quit drinking on my own. I mean, I had done it off and on for a long time. Um, I think I started like I was, I was, I was seeking alcohol at 14. And by the time I was 17, I was physically addicted. So, um, yeah, but I I think there's a lot of people like me, right? Oh, Um, yeah. And so, so, you know, like not being able to, like, I was not, I was not, mature enough, you know, about like emotions. I didn't understand emotions to be able to say like the alcohol was my response to the position I found myself in. Right. And so when I, any time I tried to quit drinking, I would always come to in the same position thinking that life would change. Right. So for me to do anything but drink was insanity (laughs) right so in order for me to quit full time I had to change my life you know like I had to things about my life and I had to do life differently and I had to learn new responses so so yeah you know like understanding that I had learned those things was was just as much a response to you know, like I, I knew I had a problem because my friends knew those things and I didn't. Mm. Did that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. I'm just letting it soak in. Yeah. Totally answered my question. Yeah. I'm always just curious because it, a lot of the stories I've heard, it seems to be a mix of the impetus to seek recovery and to understand, Oh, this you know, my use might be a problem or it's gotten out of control or this is more than just a weekend habit or an evening habit, right? It it does seem to be this mix of an external force and an internal force. And I'm always just curious for each individual, you know, what's what's the ratio there? What's the connection or intersection there? Yeah, it's always fascinating to hear because I do, I think for folks in recovery, 
there's just this incredible inner strength that I find so incredible. And I'm always, I always want to just know like, what is that in you? Where did you find that? How did you find that? How can other people find it? Was that rhetorical? Kind of. If you have answers or thoughts, like go for it, but don't feel like like you have to have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think like the thing that's common amongst all of my friends that that have that inner strength that I'm like, yeah, I want some of that too. I think the thing is, is like they they have like a philosophy for living, you know, and they've developed their character. And they've learned like what is important to them and how it impacts the world. And again, I think that's one of those things that applies to the human condition, like regardless of substance use challenges or mental health challenges or anything. I think that's just, and when I say being a good human, I don't mean that to be such like a binary of you're either a good person or a bad person, but more just how to show up as your whole self and curate this life in a way that you want. I think that's a huge piece of it is having this kind of philosophy, just like you said. I get that. Um, yeah. Yana Van Zant, I, I she was a one she's one of my teachers for a while. And um, one of the things that she would say to that is, you know, you, if you want to show up as your authentic self, you need to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that recovery does, right. Is if you're doing it, if you're engaged in it, right. So I say, if you're engaged in it, like there's several stages of engagement, right? Like at the Uh beginning, you're just learning the skills to, to not use no matter what. Right. And then you're learning the skills to like improve your life. And then like the longer you do that, like the more foundation you've got, then you start to like delve inside of yourself and like, huh, who am I? And and what am I made for? You know, like, what's my purpose? And and how am I going to do that? Uh-huh. And, you know, and, you know, Mama Ia would say, like, you got to know yourself. So you got to do some, like, deep diving, right? And, like, that's one of the things about recovery is every single person I've ever met who's, like, authentic, who has something I want, you know, like, oh, I, I want to be, like, authentic like that right I want to have that strength that they've got you know like they all have taken the time to like really figure out who they are yeah you're absolutely right and that's my experience too and I've done a couple leadership different leadership trainings in my life and they and the really good ones talk about that about you know outside of a lot of times when you say leadership training people think vocationally or job specific, but I think the really good ones are more about training the human, like investing in the human, you know, this, Mm -hmm. you're a leadership (laughs) trainer. Um, (laughs) But You know, they talk about, okay, who are you? What do you want to do with your life? And then how, and then, you know, before every action, like, taking the time to make sure your actions are in alignment with all of that. And 
you know, just really living a life that's authentic on each of those levels. That's the shtick, right? That's the thing. <laughs> that's the shtick, right? That's the shtick. <laughs> I need to get some new lines. I keep using that one. <laughs> that's the shtick. That's the shtick. I'm a little curious. You, you know, you you mentioned early on that um, alcohol and cocaine were your substances of choice. And you most my substances of no choice. Of no choice. (laughs) Thank you. Um, But a lot of your discussion around recovery and sobriety has been stopping drinking. What's how intertwined was your cocaine use and alcohol use in that period of sobriety? Was it like when you said you wanted to stop drinking? Was it I want to stop drinking and stop using cocaine or tell me more about that? Well, they went hand in hand in my, in my thinking, because, you know, when I stopped drinking, I didn't need Coke anymore. Mm. You know, like Coke made it possible for me to be, to drink as much as I want for as long as I want. And it was, I mean, like alcohol is a depressant drug, right? So Mm. I needed something to pick me back up. That makes sense. You know, and it, it did that for me. So, you know, like. And and to be fair too, like Coke losses appealed to me when I woke up one morning and there was blood on my pillow. Mm. You know, so I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> this hurts. Yeah, <laughs> that would be you alarming. Know? Yeah, and like alcohol was not like that for me. You know, I mean, like alcohol, and and to be fair, like. I drank to the point I did the exact same thing with alcohol that I did with Coke, right? Like when Coke was painful, you know, like the consequences became too much for me to bear. I stopped, Mm. you know, but I had alcohol to be able to, you know, like lighten the burden, right. Of Mm -hmm. life. So, you know, like I would, you know, since, since I, you know, like, when life would intervene, you know, like I would, I would, you know, I would, I would, I would do the, I did the exact same thing. Like how do I live life without it? Right. And alcohol was an option, right. Until it wasn't an option anymore. And it was the exact same thing. Like I, I got to the point where I could no longer drink, like my body would not take it in. Mm-hmm. So like that, no choice that choice no choice like it was visceral for me it was like you can't drink anymore period end of story (laughs) and for you know like for me like that meant I was grieving and mourning that loss right because I all of a sudden like the way that I was dealing with life I couldn't deal with it those ways anymore you know with either coke or with drinking so did that answer your question oh yeah yeah I'm just uh, it was just curious to me hearing you mention cocaine in the beginning, but not so much when we were talking about the recovery piece. Well, and I think to be fair too, like you didn't ask this, but I'm going to volunteer this. Like for me and for a lot of other people, right? Like 12 step recovery is not the only way that, that I, um, I engage in recovery, right? Like I engage in recovery with um, therapy and coaching and um, 
for a while there, I engaged with recovery through uh, medication, you know, and today I'm blessed. I get to say, like, I don't engage with recovery through medication anymore. I engage with it through, you know, diet and exercise and uh, a daily meditation and gratitude practice, you know. Um, And so, you know, like there's a lot more that goes into my my recovery, you know, than just and I don't mean it to be like um, dismissive. Um, and there's more to my recovery than just 12 steps. Right. And I think that's true for a lot of people. I, I mean, we've both said that, you know, every individual's journey through recovery is their own, but I think that is true. And whether the, whether they name it or not, you know, if, you know, 12 step may be the, their primary, way they engage in recovery. But there are all these other pieces that that we engage in through life that is either helping or not. And so to say that I only found it this way, I I, I think it would be a dismissive dismissal of some other influences. Oh yeah. Well and I mean like that feeds itself into like the rest of my world too, right? So mm-hmm. you know like my doctor needs to know that I'm in recovery. You know, and that there are there are limits to things that I will and won't do, you know, mm-hmm. and a lot of it. I mean, like to give you an example, you know, like I'm a cancer survivor um, mm-hmm. and I've been in remission for six years now. Like I got to ring the bell like three different times. It's amazing. Um, I know. Right. And, you know, like going through that process, like I had to tell my my cancer care team you know, the oncology care team, like, listen, I'm, I'm, I I have addiction. I I have substance use disorder. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing I've learned. Like a lot of people have addiction. It does not show up as substance use disorder, right. It shows up in other ways, some Mm -hmm. destructive, some non-destructive, but for me, it shows up as destructive in substance use. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to tell them, listen, I'm not like, I will do everything that you say, except for I'm not using opiates or narcotics, period, end of story. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this is going to, because, you know, they're like, it's going to be way too much. Uh, you're going to be in too much pain to be able to, to, to navigate this for as long as you have to navigate. And I'm like, no, we need to create a holistic process for me to navigate this because people have been doing this for millennia before I ever, you know, we ever got to this place. Right. And, you know, if, and this is my path, it doesn't have to be everyone's path Mm -hmm. for me, you know, like if they had saved my life to condemn me back to substance use disorder, they wouldn't have saved my life. They would have, they would have prolonged my death. Mm. You know, so like, that is that is a reality for me, you know, and I have to to face that and I have and for me, it doesn't have to be for anybody else, but for me, right? Mm-hmm. That is my reality. And I have to be able to communicate that, you know, to my medical team, 
right? Mm-hmm. And I have to be able to communicate that to the therapists and, you know, like my family and my friends and my 12-step community and mm-hmm. anybody else that I'm going to interact with, right? I have to be able to say, these are my choices, you know? And if you respect me, then you will respect my choices and you will support me in finding an alternative path, right? And mm-hmm. because I was able to articulate that, Um, And I was able to say, like, this is how much my recovery means to me. This is how hard I've had to work for it and continue to work for it. Mm -hmm. You know, this, you know, like, we have to think about this. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that, that conversation, like, creates this whole new dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason I had the ability to advocate like that for myself is because I've got long-term recovery. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's why uh, what we do right at the peer recovery center for excellence is so important. Right. Because they're like, if I, I think about if I had been in early recovery when that had happened, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have known this truth about myself. Right. And so I would have needed people to advocate for me. Mm Mm-hmm. That's actually how I ended up doing the peer work and recovery coach. And I've been a coach, you know, a, a coach, a spiritual and a and a finance coach for 25 years. Right. And, you know, like I bec- I was introduced to recovery coaching and peer support during that cancer journey, you know, because they called in the peer support and they were like, hey, we need we need Joanna to actually have an advocate so that Joanna is not advocating solely on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's how like the, the I was introduced to the peers. And I think like that's that is amazing. And that is exactly why we need, you know, to to think about how we change and how we support people all the way from pre-contemplation to how, you know, like end of life type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You said it so well. And I'm thinking a lot of things, but firstly, I love that you had that empowerment of self to be able to advocate for yourself and say, Hey, here are my boundaries. Here's what I need from you. And that's something I want for anyone and everyone in any sort of situation. Power Um, of coaching. (laughs) The power of coaching. And then you're absolutely right. Like we have so many, I mean, it, Anecdotally and evidence-based, we have these public health care models for chronic diseases. And I I just think it's about time that we have that for substance use disorder. (laughs) I'm just over here like trying to keep my soapbox (laughs) tucked away. But but you're absolutely right. Like we we know quantitatively, qualitatively, we have the data that shows like outcomes are improved when you have a support team around you and you have that peer with you saying, yeah, buddy, me too. I've been there. You know, it's that piece of hope. It's that hope of I've been where you've been and now I'm here and you can get here too. Yeah. Well, and, and yes, and Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And also like for someone that just does one of the pathways, right? Like I am living, breathing evidence along with many other people that you can, you know, enter 
and stay in long-term recovery with a 12-step program. Yeah. And, you know, like that's powerful, right? Mm -hmm. And when I started, I certainly did not believe in any higher power, right? So like, I know that that's a lot of people's, um, that, that keeps a lot of people out of the rooms and, you know, like it almost kept me out too. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing that, that people made very, very clear to me all along the path is like, it doesn't have to be a religion. Uh It's not like, that's not what this is. This is a philosophy for living Uh and a process. Right. And it can, it's your concept, right. As long as it's not malevolent and it cares about you. Right. Mm -hmm. Or um, it's not cares about you, but not malevolent or, you know, it's life affirming. Right. Mm -hmm. Nature life affirming. Yeah. Um, So, you know, like there's that. Right. And also I'm also living, breathing proof that there's more aspects of addiction recovery than just the social aspect. Right. Like, it's, it's a biopsychosocial thing. We mm-hmm. need to act like it's a biopsychosocial thing. So when we do use a chronic health model, right, like people change. So mm-hmm. all you have access to at the very beginning is a 12-step space or a smart recovery space or refuge or whatever the space is, Mm-hmm. Knowing that there are medical professionals and social professionals, right? Like medical professionals, like counselors and doctors and therapists that can support you, and social mm-hmm. professionals, like, um, you know, peer supporters and those types of people that can help you get to the social aspect. And then, you know, like coaches that can help you to learn the skills that you need to overcome the things you've learned about yourself. Like, as long as we know that these people exist and that they actually do very different things and that Mm -hmm. using one does not mean that you can't use the other or that it negates the other in any way, shape or form. Like, that's the thing that, you know, like, I I would hope that more and more of us would start to speak up about, you know, like, because I'm proof that, Mm -hmm. you know, like, life my the 24 years i've gotten recovery is is a testament to it takes what it takes mm-hmm. you know and as long as everybody's working towards that common goal of recovery then we're going to get there that is a yeah. foregone conclusion yeah that was my I, soapbox <laughs> it was a good soapbox and i almost <laughs> just want to don't want to add anything else because it was just so good. Cue the transition music. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to just transition because that was so good and I have nothing to add. I just thought it was well said. But one of the questions I like to ask and people's reaction to it's kind of funny. For those listening, if they left your episode having heard like really heard or understood one thing, what would be that one thing you'd want them to take away from this? I don't know. I said a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I was just going to say Michael King and his episode, when I asked him, he's like, I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) 
Oh, it's, I love that. Yeah, he was like, it's whatever they need. I'm not going to pretend I know what they need to hear. I was like, okay. Yeah, that's, that's actually really, that's actually how I feel about it too. Like, I don't know what you're going to, what you're going to hear that like resonates. And I don't know what you're going to hear that's going to be like, that, that, that. I can't believe you said that, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know, like, take what you need and leave the rest, you know? And if there's something in here that speaks to you now, like, great. If there's something in here that you're like, I need to set that aside and listen to it later, fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's so true, right? And that's, I mean, I would hope that's how folks are engaging with anything they take, any kind of content they take in. I, I love the line of take what you need and leave the rest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Joanna, thank you so much for, for sharing your story and your insight. I really, I never want to get to the point where hearing people's stories, whether it's recovery related or not is I take that for granted. Cause I do think sharing of ourselves, especially very vulnerable pieces of ourselves it's a privilege. And, and so I just, I want to honor that and honor your time. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. This has been fun. I, so I don't talk about like early recovery that much anymore. So this was cool. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad I can make space for it. Cause I do, I think for a lot of the community that um, the center of excellence serves and the people that we work with, um, they are kind of on that other end of the spectrum where it's, you know, okay, we've got, we're in recovery. We, you know, now we're helping other people find it. I do think it's important to go back to, you know, those pieces of where we came from and what was that, what that was like, because it helps us to relate to folks who are early in their journey and, and seeking the services that we provide the collective we, not just the center. No, I understood that. Yeah. You're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like the things that I learned in mid recovery were the things that guide what I do today. Right. Mm -hmm. The things that I learned in early recovery set the found, like created the foundation Mm -hmm. for who I am. Thank you for connecting with us listeners. Our goal in sharing stories and information is to provide hope and resources to the field of peer recovery. Please join us again next month on Recovery Talk. You can find our episodes on our website, peerrecoverynow.org. That's peerrecoverynow.org or wherever else you find your podcasts. The Peer Recovery Center of Excellence is funded by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration to enhance peer recovery support services by expanding access to training and technical assistance services across the country. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the official policies of the Department of Health and Human Services, nor does mention of trade names, commercial practices, or organizations imply endorsement by the U.S. government. Talk with you next time.